Well, welcome again. Like you've heard, it's Graduate Sunday. The common theme we all have is that we have the pleasure and honor of working with seniors. In fact, if you're a senior small group leader, would you stand up? So it should be Matt Zapp. I think there's Matt. Good job. Don't be shy. Andrew Zapp is the other guy's leader. He did communion with us. Abby Gallus there in the back. And then Sydney Morgan standing in the sound booth as well. And then Joe Ward, who's just kind of a legend around youth ministry, who's, who actually probably pastored some of these kids' parents. Uh, he'll be coming up at the end to read the names. So as you've heard, I don't know if this, if this graduating class has a nickname, but I call them the James group because James talks about consider it pure joy when you encounter trials and hardship. And these guys have certainly been through that. I want you to imagine your senior year and all you went through and just imagine all they've gone through. And you heard him in the video talk about things like not having prom, having kind of displaced or weird graduations. And so um, it would make sense, and many of you are thinking, that because they've had it so rough, I should probably come up here on their graduation Sunday and coddle them and be sweet and be kind and the seniors are all laughing because they know I'm not going to do that. So my theory is I have one last opportunity to give them a good, truthful, loving, sweet kick on their way out the door into college ministry. In fact, many of them will be sitting here with the Cornerstoners next week. Isn't that amazing? You guys better scoot over and make some room because there's a lot of them. And so what I want us to look at, in fact, let me do this. If you didn't pick up a senior booklet on the way in, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to bring you one for two reasons. The first is that this is not just who our seniors are, but this is a prayer guide for the coming year. Because many Christian adults love to lament the fact that when seniors graduate, they tend to drift or not be so close to Jesus. We're not going to do that. We are going to pray for them and pray that they would abide and remain with Jesus Christ. The second reason, and if you have a book and you open it to the first page, seniors, this is my gift to you, we are going to take a test. And if you fail this test, you will not graduate. No, that's not true. I don't have that power or authority. But we're going to take a test. And really what I want us to look at is this concept of inspecting our walls. And so today, as we consider graduation, Joe's going to come up and read some of the plans these kids have. Gary's going to come up and pray for these guys and ask them to really dedicate their lives completely to Jesus. And I believe this graduating class has made some significant decisions and choices in their life. As I think about James, I don't see whining. I don't see complaining. I actually see a lot of maturity and growth through this hard time. But the fact is, if we don't protect ourselves, those decisions can fall short. And if you're listening and you're not graduating, I want to challenge you that there are ways and opportunities and methods and gifts of the Spirit that we've been given to protect our souls and our hearts and our minds. And we need to inspect our walls and make sure that what's behind those walls is safe. Now, if you remember, before everything kind of got crazy on us, what book of the Bible did we start in? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. One of you got that. That's great. Okay. One of you gets an automatic A. You don't have to take the test. You're good. The rest of you better pay attention. Now, if you remember, the issue in Nehemiah, really the theme, is the rebuilding of the wall. 
And I've actually got Sidney Morgan printed for me. This is an image of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And kind of the way walls work is you have these giant, and these are actually scaled down, but you have these giant hand-cut stones. And between them, you have mortar or mud or some combination of cement. And the idea is that you create a barrier around what you're trying to protect. Now, a few of you are going, now, we're Christians. Aren't we supposed to let people in and walls don't make good neighbors? The, the good news is that in these walls, there's also gates. And so gates allow us to come in and out, to interact with people. But when danger comes, when bad things come, we shut the gates and the wall protects us. But daily, soldiers and masons would go out and inspect the walls to make sure that they were in good standing. Now, typically, the wall would not just fall overnight. One of these stones wouldn't just fall out. But what would happen is there would become kind of holes in the, in the mortar and in areas where people could get a handhold and scale the wall. Or maybe there were plants growing, and with these plants, they could grab on and get over the wall. And so what I want to challenge us to do this morning is to inspect our walls. The way we're going to do it there on page one, I'm going to walk you through a quiz, and I'm going to ask you to score yourself, one being that your wall, this section of your wall is broken in disrepair, and then 10 being that this section of your wall is solid and strong. Now, here's the rule. You cannot score your neighbor, your wife, or your family member. So if I talk about, you know, self-control, don't reach over and circle like a three on your spouse because that shows you don't have self-control. So let's work on that. And then at the end, we're going to look at our scores together and see how we're doing. Now, one of the things I want to remind us as we look at these 10 areas is that many times these aren't the highest areas we talk about. So, for example, as Christians, we definitely don't want to murder anyone. Uh, we would definitely say adultery is wrong. We would say gossip is wrong. We would say lying is wrong. And yet these things are things that we tend not to pay as much attention to. And so what I want to encourage us to do is consider inspecting our walls and doing what we can to strengthen the protection that God has given us in our lives. And so the concept we see in Nehemiah, if you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13. It says, By night... I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Wouldn't that be great if you lived by the dung gate and you had to give directions to get to your house? Like, come to the jackal well, take a right turn at dung gate, and my house is right there. You know, that, that would be an interesting one. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. We jump down to verse 17. Then I, Nehemiah, said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we will no longer be in disgrace. And really, the physical theme of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the wall. But you have to ask the question, why did the wall matter? What was being protected? Well, its people were being protected, but primarily it was the temple. The temple of God in Ezra had been rebuilt and restored, and yet without walls it was in danger. You also see there's a spiritual theme in Nehemiah and that he brings about reforms, repentance, and confession. And so again, walls are there to protect valuable and valued things in our lives. And so let's go through the test. I'm, I'm actually going to ask you to score yourself. We'll do the total at the end. Let's start with number one. Number one is anger. Some of you are angry that I even brought that up. If, if you are, you probably have a number to score. But I want you to think about anger in your life. How many of you would agree that in our society today, there's a lot of anger going around? 
You see it in the news, you see it in the protests, you see it in riots, you see it on Facebook and Instagram, people's anger and just responding to each other. Well, I'm on this side and I'm on this side. I think what Andrew said was accurate, that there's a great spirit of divisiveness. And so there is a lot of pent-up anger. And as Christians, we can have that anger as well. It's not always that we're going out doing something violent, but it can be anger towards a situation. It can be anger towards a person. It can be anger towards what we consider to be our lot in life. For many seniors about to graduate, there could be anger, I don't think it's in our class as much, saying, I got robbed, I got ripped off. Maybe God's withholding something from me. I truly believe the seniors in our class have looked at it and said, God is growing me and God is beginning a process early in my life that many of us wish we'd begun earlier as well. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 talks about the danger of anger. It says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And so Paul is saying literally that when we allow anger in our life, when we let the sun go down our anger, we're giving a foothold in our wall which Satan can use to scale and get into the things that matter. And so take a minute, look at your list, and where is your wall in terms of anger? And here's the good news. If you're scoring a three or a four and you've got a lot of anger and and pent-up things, there's a way to release it. It's called confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And it works. And so we look at anger. The second one I want us to look at is truth tellers. Now, the opposite of a truth teller would be a liar. And so if you say that, you don't have any sin in your life or there's nothing in your wall to inspect, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So don't score a perfect hundred or we're all going to be suspicious of you. And if you already circled all the tens and told it, like, just wait, can we walk it through? So the truth tellers, what I mean by that are people in our lives that are willing to speak the truth. People that will look at us, that will live with us in relationship. I would argue these aren't complete strangers, So if you come up at the end of it and say, Will Hoffman, I think you have bad moral character. Um, Okay, I mean, we can talk about it, and maybe I do, but, you know, usually it involves relationship. But it involves people that are willing to come up and say, there's a blind spot you don't see. And especially when it comes to inspecting our walls, you might think you're not an angry person. But maybe if I asked your spouse or your children and they observed the way you drive in traffic, they'd be like, yeah, you're an angry person. And we all have blind spots. I believe that I'm tall and ruggedly handsome. (laughs) Thanks for laughing. I got a few truth tellers out there. Joe Ward is a truth teller for sure. Amen. Um, Here's some biblical examples of truth tellers. Imagine your father-in-law coming to visit you and telling you that the way you're living life is no good. Yeah, ooh, kind of breathe in on that one. Well, Moses, a godly man, this is exactly what happened. His father-in-law Jethro comes to visit. The the Israelites are lined up all day waiting to have their cases heard. And at the end of the day, Jethro, and I don't believe with condescension or criticalness or bitterness, says to Moses, the thing you are doing is not good. You will wear yourself and your people out. And then lovingly he says, hey, I've got an idea. Here's a way you might do it where you're not going to get so worn out and it'll be better. We joke about father-in-laws. It could be there's a father-in-law in in your life that God will use to speak truth into your life or a mother-in-law. Another true teller I love is the Apostle Paul. Now, 
in my own little petty world, I always think Peter and me could probably hang out and get along. I always think if me and Paul hung out, he'd, he'd just be too harsh for me. Um, so maybe that shows I'm a little afraid of truth tellers. But there's a story between Peter and Paul we see in Galatians 2. And what's happened is Peter has had this great vision that he can eat Gentile food. It's no longer forbidden. Think about that for a minute. Bacon, shrimp, ribs, pork chops. I should just keep going. Everyone's going to be hungry. And so he, he goes in and he's there with the Gentiles. And I don't, doesn't say what he's eating, but I believe he's eating some of the good stuff. And so he's with the Gentiles. He has this new freedom in Christ. He's eating. And then some Jews show up. And Peter begins to feel maybe some condescension or judgment. And so he begins to separate himself from the Gentiles. He's being what we would call a hypocrite. And so Paul shows up. And it says that to his face, Paul challenges him for his hypocrisy. And again, I ask the question about truth tellers. Do you have people in your life that will call you out on your stuff? I know one of my favorites here in the church, uh, I preached a sermon, I don't know, two years ago, and then we travel over to Africa. All places, Africa is where I get to hear truth. And so there's Dawn and Pamela Beecham, and if you know Pamela Beecham, she is a character. It's my one payback. And so we're out in the middle of Africa, sitting around this fire, and Pamela goes, hey, I got a bone to pick with you. And I'm like, what, what is that? Like, I'm your guide here. Like, if you aren't nice to me, I won't feed you or give you a place to sleep. And she says, and I'll never forget this, she said, a few months ago, you preached a sermon. I really enjoyed it. And then a few weeks later, in my opinion, you did something that, con that was contrary to what you preached. And so we had this beautiful conversation about it. And I'll never forget, you know, and there maybe were feelings in me, but all I could think is, here is a woman and a person that speaks the truth. And so not only should we have truth tellers in our life, but we should respond appropriately. Because some of us may say, well, I don't have truth tellers. Well, if every time someone speaks the truth, you're defensive and agitated and bugged, they're probably going to stop doing it. And so score yourself on this one. Do you have truth tellers in your life? I guess I got choked up telling that story. Now, I know at the end, people are going to walk up and be like, hey, I got some truth for you, buddy. Uh, number three, self-control. I want you to think about this time of COVID-19. Anybody putting on the COVID-19 as we speak? Not, not the disease, but the weight, you know, we're sitting around. Yeah, some people patting their bellies. I, I have struggles with eating, and being at home with a pantry around has just been killing me. Because I got more time on my hands, and I walk to the pantry, and it's like full of food. And it's really weird. We just moved to a new house, and the pantry's still full of food, and it seems like new food. So I'm just like, this is great. And we joke about it. It's kind of one of those permissible sins where like, ah, you don't have self-control. And I don't. Like, I sit down with a bag of chips, two chips, ten chips, hundred chips. Pretty soon I'm scraping the bottom of the bag going, man, where'd that go? Trying to blame my kids. But here's the deal. If we don't have self-control, we diminish the strength of our walls. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. I want you to imagine this wall if it was like a poster with no board behind it and I had a kid just run through it like a football game. That's what it's like when we don't have self-control. And I might joke about a bag of chips, but Satan sees opportunities 
where he can get through our walls because we lack self-control. You know, I got the water up. I guess I have to drink it at some... I'm, I'm not used to drinking water while I talk, so here we go. I probably made that more awkward by not doing it professionally. The next one. So score yourself on self-control. How are you doing? Do you have great self-control? Do you have low self-control? Next one is passions and values. Now, this one I would say is kind of the enemy from within. And so you might have some great walls to protect your heart, to guard your soul, to guard your mind, to protect you. And yet there's passions and values that can get behind the wall and attack you where you're hiding, where you're protecting things. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. The very thing you're trying to protect might be diminished. It might be undermined by the things you passion and value. Now, I could ask you right now, what is your passions? What are your values? And some of them are noble. Some of them are not. I, I love what Gary teaches, and I'll just quote it. The way to tell you what you value is to look at your checkbook and your calendar. And I just realized that for seniors of the class of 2020, you probably don't even know what a checkbook is. Uh, look at your debit card. Or no, your Apple Pay. Is that what you guys use? Apple Pay. What do you use, Caden? Piece of paper? Okay, good. So you get a piece of paper. But, but seriously, think about it. You can tell what you value and passion by where you spend your time and your money. So rather than saying I'm passionate about serving in my church family or I value uh, helping people in my neighborhood, I would ask you to look at your calendar and your checkbook and say, is that really where your values are at? I think many of us would be surprised to find that most things in our checkbook and on our calendar resolve or revolve around ourselves. And so again, take a minute and check how are you doing on your passion and values. Number five, your foundation and your cornerstone. So we consider this idea of a spiritual wall. We, we consider this idea of protecting what's valuable. But we have to be very careful that our wall is built on the right thing. And the right thing is, say Jesus, it's church. That's usually 90% of the time going to be the right answer. Unless like the Sunday school kid when they said, what's gray and furry and has a tail? It's not Jesus, it's a squirrel. Anyways, so let's go on. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, that's my joke for the sermon. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Because here's the reality, you can build a wall around what you value around your life, and if it's built on selfishness, it's not the kind of wall we're talking about. The wall we're talking about is built on Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask the question, what does it mean to build on the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it mean wearing a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus? It's a great t-shirt. I don't see one, but it's a great, I'm not. Does it mean having the right bumper sticker on your car? The fish or the fish swallowing the Darwin fish or whatever you got. Again, great thing. Is that what it means? Jesus defines it for us when he says this. Anyone who hears my words and puts them into action has built his house on the rock. And when the storms come, it will not fall. Building our lives on Jesus Christ is not just a prayer we pray. It's not a phrase. It's not a mantra. It's actually hearing and obeying. And so as we consider the cornerstone and foundation of our life, are we living in obedience to Jesus Christ? 
Because I can tell you point blank, there's been times in my life when I've failed to obey or follow the words of Jesus, and then I've wondered why I'm vulnerable. Number six, we have to have this one, even though it's a, a graduate Sunday, misappropriated sex. Now, I use the word misappropriated because in the financial world, misappropriated funds mean funds that are spent somewhere where they were not designated for. And so when a businessman embezzles the money that was meant for the retirement fund and he takes it for his house in Jamaica, he has misappropriated funds. And so let me say this clearly. Sex, physical intimacy, is designed for marriage, for biblical marriage. And actions, thoughts, fantasies, lust that are not related to sex in marriage expose us to danger. Period. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other. Nod your head that you know what we're talking about depriving each other of. Please, just nod your head so I don't explain it. Thank you. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. And so what he's saying is you can deprive each other of physical intimacy and marriage for fasting and prayer. Not for punishment. Not because your spouse got a little heavy and you're not attracted. But for fasting and prayer. But then he warns us, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Every issue I've ever counseled in issue of divorce, this is one of the number one themes. You'll ask a couple and they'll say, we haven't been intimate for months, years, longer. And so I would say for us that any sexual expression outside of marriage puts us in danger and gives Satan a foothold to get over our walls. And so again... Number six, go ahead and score it. How are you doing? <clears throat> Number seven, can be connected, unconfessed sin. Now, I'm not just talking about sin. Please don't circle on there. If you have sin, you're a one. And if you don't have sin, you're a ten. Because, again, none of us are without sin. And it's not the issue of just sinning, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What I'm talking about is the kind of sin that's never confessed and never repented of. Not just saying sorry. When you sin and you say, hey, sorry about that. Like my wife told me this once before, and I'll never forget that half the time when I said sorry, flippantly, I was really just saying shut up and leave me alone. Didn't make her feel good or loved or treasured or honored. And guess what? I kept doing the same action over and over again. And so unconfessed sin says that when there's sin in our life, we confess it. I want you to look at this prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer to pray before we go to bed at night. Because there's things I do, and I, I, I'm not tracking. I'm not paying attention. But to ask the Holy Spirit at the end of the day to say, is there anything in my life right now that needs to be confessed and repented? Some of us don't pray it because we know he'll do it. Now, in case you're thinking, well, confession's kind of old school, and repentance is a John the Baptist thing, and I don't know if I have to do that, let me tell you what happens when you don't. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, in other words, I protected, I left it there, I didn't deal with it, 
the Lord would not have what? Listen. So as you're building a wall and trying to follow Jesus, how important is prayer? Very. But if you've got unconfessed sin in your life and you're not willing to deal with it, and God's saying, I'm not listening until we get some of the sin in your life straight, you're in a dangerous place. So go ahead, number seven, and score yourself. How do you do in unconfessed sin? Number eight is misplaced trust. So who should we trust? Jesus. Yeah, that's good. It's working again. Okay? So we should trust Jesus. Are there other things in our lives we can trust? Yeah. Well, okay, maybe none of you have them. I've found in my life. I remember a time I lived in, we just got back from Africa. We, we moved back to California. I started a construction company, and I thought I was a genius. Like, business was booming. I would come home to my wife and say, I think I'm going to raise myself $15 an hour next week and see what happens. And I would walk into my new client and say, yep, here's my new price. And they'd be like, okay, I'll take it. Now, unknown to me, what was going on is all the Californians were refinancing their houses and spending them on their houses on construction. And so things were just like booming. I got to be honest with you. I put my trust in my money a lot. When things were going well, I balanced my checkbook religiously every morning. And I'm not going to lie, it felt really good to go through my accounts and go, man, I got this, and this is here, and I get to transfer this. And, and, and it was sick, because I wasn't trusting God. I wasn't aware of what was really going on in the economy, but I was putting my trust and my joy in this financial thing. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Some trust in these, these, these demonstrations of might and power and military victory, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 18.11, I want you to think about trusting in wealth. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Now, some people would stop right there. You could take it out of context and say, now, wait a minute, Will. The Bible just said the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They don't need a wall. They got wealth. Finish the verse after the semicolon. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Again, we're, we're back to that idea of enemies getting over our wall. If they're imagining it a wall too high to scale, what does that tell you about the wall? It's imaginary. They're trusting the wrong thing. And so again, look at number eight and say, is there anything in your life where you've misplaced trust and you need to get it right? Let me give you a hint in scoring. If it's not Jesus you're trusting, you got to get a low score, okay? Number nine is pride. Now, some of us, you say, well, I'm, I'm really proud. I got this great wall. I have great defenses around my life. I don't watch certain shows. I don't look at certain things. I'm doing really good. And we begin, if we're not careful, to kind of swell up with pride. Again, this is like an enemy behind the wall. Because if we're talking about building and maintaining and inspecting walls, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a what? You can destroy your walls from within with spiritual pride. For, if you have any doubt about that, go read as Jesus interacts with proud people. You remember the tax collector? He comes into the temple to pray in front of people. Oh, thank you, God, that I'm who I am, and I'm not a tax collector like that guy over there. And then the tax collector comes up. Just like Gary talked about last week, poor in spirit. He's not even willing to look up to the heavens. And who does Jesus commend in that story? 
the man with the broken spirit, the man who's poor in spirit. And so number nine, where's pride in your life? And then finally, number 10, last but certainly not least, our understanding of the gospel. The role in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest source of strength and protection in your life. Because some of the enemies coming at your wall are guilt, shame, despair, frustration. And the single best answer to all of these is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody in here ever wrestle with shame and guilt? It will flat out destroy you. You let those two virtues over your wall and they will begin to eat away and undermine and kill you, literally. And in the gospel, we find a forgiveness of sins. We find the answer to our guilt. We find that shame, which is guilt or feelings based on our value and who we are, are answered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so go ahead and score number 10. Now, let's go ahead, take a minute, and do a quick total on your scores. Let me give you a hint. If you got all ones, your average is a one, or you probably got a 10 total. If you scored all 10s, don't raise your hand, because we don't believe you. Okay? Now, this would be a great time for me to tell you and to tell the graduating seniors as we inspect our walls that if you got a 90, you're doing pretty good. It's not bad. A little room for improvement, but a 90 will work. If you got an 80, I mean, you know, it's a B. B average, I'd take that, 3.0. 70, mm, not so great, but you're passing. Here's the reality. If we're talking about guarding our minds and our hearts and our souls, a 90 is not good enough. We have to inspect our walls. We have to say the decisions, the commitments, the values we've made, are we doing all we can to protect them in the name of Jesus? And the beautiful thing is we're not alone in doing this. By the power of the Spirit, we can address what's going on in our lives and deal with things successfully. Let me pray, and then after I'm done praying, Joe is going to come up. Do I see Joe somewhere? There he is. So Joe is going to be coming up. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the, the work, the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for all that you accomplished on the cross, the things that you and I as, as humans could never, ever do. Thank you that you sent your son, as Andrew reminded us, that you made yourself nothing, you emptied yourself, you were humble and obedient, even to death on a cross. And because of that, we have the greatest defense in the world. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the righteousness of your son. Thank you that as hard as it is for me to understand that when you look at me because of your son, you see righteousness. And so I get to live with confidence. I, I get to live with security. I get to live with things that my friends and neighbors who don't know you are, are desperate for, they're longing for, and they're seeking to find. And so I pray that we would inspect our walls, that we would uh, condition and build up our walls, and not just to keep ourselves safe, so that we might better be equipped to share the gospel and the hope of salvation with others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Joe Ward, you are tall and handsome. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. I wish I had as much hair as you. Yeah. I wish I had as much hair as you have. Hair's doing pretty good. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, um, 
It's graduation Sunday, and we are really excited to honor our graduating seniors. Rebecca and I have been working in youth ministry for about 20 years here at Grace Community Church, and uh, that's a long time. We, we, we were doing youth ministry before any of these uh, graduating seniors were born, actually. And uh, we've had a lot of classes through all that time, and this is one of the very, we have 28 graduating seniors at Grace Community Church this year, and I think that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. And, and, and I'm telling you, I know these students, and, and they're going to be great leaders in our community. They're going to be great leaders in their homes and leaders in business. But let me tell you something I'm most excited about. A lot of these students are going to be mighty warriors in God's kingdom, and that is just awesome. You know, when you've been doing youth ministry, is like, how long? Remember all that? Your house, Brownie, had junior high kids. All those kids are like 35 now. Um, when you've been doing it as long as we have, you kind of get, I get this deal where I can look at the student right now when I graduate from high school, and I can kind of get a pretty good idea of what they're going to be like 10 years down the road. I, that's just what happens when you've been doing it a long time. But let me tell you something. We've got a lot of students that are really, really going to be powerful in the kingdom for God, and I'm so excited about what these, uh, what these students are going to be doing here. Um, all right. Let me, um, let me share a couple of things. This has been a difficult spring. You saw the video earlier. I talked about one well, prom. Our graduation really didn't happen, and they've had they've had a tough time, especially in this spring. But as we'll mention, they haven't complained and they've gone right through it. But we're going to kind of, you know, a lot of them didn't really didn't have a regular high school graduation. So, kind of to honor them, I'm going to announce every student. We're going to have them stand where they are, okay, and we're going to pray for them in a little bit. But uh, they're not going to come up here, but we're gonna, I'm going to use kind of like my announcer voice, like they would get if they were really at their regular graduation. Okay, and I'm going to ask you, I know you're going to want to clap for everyone, but I'm going to ask you to hold your applause till we're done, and then we'll clap for them all. Okay? All right. First one. Isaiah Andrews. Isaiah is a graduate of Matthew Road Academy. He's going to attend Texas A&M University and study Engineering, Isaiah Andrews. No, wait, 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 don't clap. Come on, Rev. Tracy, you should have seen this. This is great. Gary starts clapping. Tracy goes, clap, clap, right It was good. Good job, Trace. All right. Gavin Bowers. Gavin is a graduate of Matthew Road Homeschool Academy. He's going to attend TCC and study business administration. Gavin Bowers. Next is Abigail Blue. Abigail is a graduate of Arlington High School. She's going to attend TCC. Next is Kara Bush. Kara is a homeschool graduate. She's going to take a gap year and work and figure out how she's going to serve the Lord. Next is Nathan Dutzman. He's a homeschool graduate. He's going to go to Arizona and attend Grand Canyon University. Stephen Dutzman, also a homeschool graduate and Mountain View College. He's also going to attend Grand Canyon University. Grace Fredrickson. Grace is a homeschool graduate. She's going to take a gap year. She's going to move out and be on her own and work. Dawson Hathaway. Dawson's, Dawson is a homeschool graduate and also from a Becca Academy He's going to Pensacola, Florida, and attend Pensacola Christian College and study pre-law. 
Jackson Hathaway. Jackson's a homeschool graduate, also a Becca Academy. He's going to also attend Pensacola Christian College. Kyle Headland. Kyle is a graduate of Alvarado High School. He's going to attend UTA and study engineering and get a haircut one day. <laughs> Abigail Holdman. Abby is a homeschool graduate. She's going to take a gap year and work and travel. Caden Conkel. Caden went to Martin High School, also graduated homeschool, attended TCC. He's going to Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas. Eric Lehu. Eric is a Viking, a graduate of Lamar High School. He's going to go to Texas A&M University and study engineering. Taylor Morgan. Taylor's a graduate of Grace Prep Academy. She's going to take a gap year and then go to UTA. Osato Omir. She's a graduate of Timberview High School. She's going to attend the University of Mary Hardin Baylor in Belton, Texas, and study nursing. Joshua Owens. Joshua's a homeschool graduate. He's going to take a gap year and save money for college. Rebecca Pomacall. She's a graduate of Travis Fine Arts Academy. Possibly going to attend Texas State and San Marcos and study nursing. Lauren Rehnquist. Lauren is a graduate of SDG Christian Academy. She's going to go to TCC, then transfer to UTA and study business. Cornell Runyon. Cornelius is a graduate of Martin High School. He's going to continue to work and build his photography and video business. Megan Sanders. Megan's a homeschool graduate. She's going to attend UTA and study architecture. Isaac Swenson. Isaac is a graduate of Grace Prep Academy. He's going to go to Texas A&M University. Victoria Sykes. Victoria is a graduate of Mansfield Legacy High School. She's going to go to TCC, and then she says she's going to get a job. How the girl, Vic? Hannah Tressler. Hannah is a graduate of K-12 Online Academy. She's going to go to college and study to be an emergency medical technician. Her sister, Katie Tressler, also K-12 Online, uh, Online Academy. She's going to go to TCC and work toward a nursing degree. Emmanuel Van Horn. Emmanuel is a graduate of Sunlight Christian Co-op. He's going to wait and see what God has in mind for him. Elijah Wurchin, graduate of Arlington High School, is going to attend Texas A&M University and study engineering. Abigail Williams, graduate of Martin High School, going to take a gap year, going to go with YWAM and do missions all over the world. Jacob Williams, also a graduate of Martin High School, he is going to attend Rice University in Houston and study engineering. Now let's clap for the class of 2020. All right. Great group of students. Yes, we're standing too. That's good. All right. That's awesome.
All right. I'm, I'm going to ask you, if you're still a graduate, to remain standing. Everybody else have a seat. Now, we have a list of all 28 of our high school graduates. I don't think we missed one, but we may have. So if you are a graduate of high school this year, maybe you don't attend Grace Community Church regularly, but you're graduating, we want you to stand and be honored and prayed for as well. If you're graduating from college, if you're getting your master's degree or a doctorate degree or a law school, or if you just got your certification to be a welder or a plumber or an electrician or an IT professional, if you just completed your seven-year plan for your associate's degree, we want to honor you this morning. Okay? So you stand as well. Please stand. If you're in that college grads, yeah, we got some. That's great. That's great. All right. Yes, we're clapping. There's another one over here. That's good. All right. If um, Pastor Gary is going to give a challenge to our students for just a moment and lead us in a prayer of blessing over them. Yeah, let me give you a one-minute challenge. Apostle Paul writes his last epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've kept the faith. And now there's waiting for me a crown in heaven. So what I want to say to you graduates is you have a fight. You must fight. And you have a race you must finish. And you have a faith you must keep. And it's worth it because at the end, there's a crown waiting for you in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I want to just pray this prayer, Jabez, over this graduating class, that you would bless them. Bless them indeed, in every way. That your hand would be upon them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Or that you would enlarge their territory, that you give them a great impact for the kingdom of God. And that you would keep them from harm. Deliver them from every scheme of the evil one. Let's all stand now as we close in prayer. And Father, we pray for everyone in this room, everyone online. We pray, Lord, would you today bless all of us indeed. Would you have your hand upon us? Would you enlarge our territory? And would you keep us from harm? Deliver us from every scheme of the devil. And we pray, Lord, that you receive the glory that you deserve through our lives. So this week, Lord, would you enable us to be the light of the world and shatter the darkness everywhere we go. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Now hold steady right there. We're going to dismiss and rose from the back. Again, we want to continue to try to do some level of social distancing, even though it seems to be going quickly away. Hang with us a little longer. So the ushers are going to come down, and they're going to dismiss row by row because we need to also clean this worship center for our next, next service in Spanish in here. So hang tight. You can visit with your neighbor for a moment as the rows are being dismissed. And try to go all the way out into the parking lot before you stop and have conversations, if you would, please. God bless you guys. Have a great week.